Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 158th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. If one were to listen to the 16th century Italian diplomat Nicolai Machiavelli, one would undoubtedly come to the conclusion that it is better to be feared than loved. But is this maximum actually true? To what extent can fear control a person's actions and more importantly, their thoughts? At what point do people decide to overcome their fears and risk everything, including the possibility of death in order to overthrow a tyrannical ruler? While there is no doubt that fear is a great influencer on human behavior, is Machiavelli correct in stating that this is the supreme variable which supersedes all else? For example, what motivates men to risk their lives in the midst of war? What pushes people to create resistance movements when tyrannical powers invade? In an even more modest context, why are some people willing to speak out against injustice when they know that they might very well lose their jobs or face other financial setbacks? While a certain percentage of the population will always fall prey to crippling fear, perhaps it is not the strongest variable at play. Love of country, for example, can perhaps explain why men go off to war. Love of family can explain why mothers and fathers might take up arms to protect their children. And a love of human rights might explain why some are willing to risk their financial livelihood in order to speak the truth. Joining me to help figure out if it is better to be feared or loved, I am once again joined by Kenny. Tell me, Kenny, is it your love for this podcast that brings out the best in you, or is it your fear of sounding dumb? No, it's my fear of getting beaten. (laughs) (laughs) He tortures me. He he, he tortures me. Okay, so no, I... (laughs) I... I mean, it's, it's an interesting dilemma. I mean, it's I think, gosh, that's an interesting question because on one hand, fear does get things accomplished. If they fear you, they will obey you. But the problem with that is they will, um, the, the, the obedience is somewhat artificial and in any opportunity they get to you know, kill you, they'll do that. Or should I say remove you from the situation, they'll do that. While love is harder to accomplish and you know, it's not really, easier to it's 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 easier to be certain that somebody fears you and it's than it is you know than it is to be certain that somebody loves you and because love is very ambiguous at least in our own in our own appraisal of it we, we're never really certain and but let's just say that it does happen that people do actually love you like they actually you know truly love you which is you know it's very unlikely but if if it does happen then it seems as though it would be better than fear. Because if people really do care for you and they do love you, it would be it would be impossible for them to not only not do as you have said, but also perhaps even go further and more you know further and beyond what's expected of them. And they would never really treat you know do you any harm. But the very but the weakness of that of that that side is that you can't know that people love you. It's just not. It's, there's just no way of knowing. You know? Excellent, excellent. I want to tackle the first half of what you said first. Well, we're going to get to love, but let's start with fear first. Okay. Right. The point that you made is absolutely brilliant. That 
fear is not an everlasting commodity. Okay, when Machiavelli said that, he's going based on the assumption that your fear is everlasting. Okay, and you're absolutely right because you might be able to instill fear for a period of time, but the second you know the military turns against you, the second uh, the people start getting a little bit braver, because there are examples of history of people risking their life. There are examples in history of people committing martyrdom to fight for what they believe in. So there is a there is a limit as to where fear can get you. It could work in the in the in it for a short duration. It could work for a short period of time. And also, I just want to give a little background about Machiavelli. Some stuff that I've dug up. Uh, when I first read him, I thought he was the absolute boss. I thought he was the man. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. And that's my twenty year old self thinking, yeah, that's badass gangster like live, living. But I actually read about him, and I I I've come I, I found out that he was a you know, an Italian diplomat. And he was actually, he was a failed Italian diplomat. He was actually exiled. And he actually wrote The Prince as a, as a glorified resume or a cover letter in order to get a job. And it actually didn't work. Like, no, he never, he never recouped the power that he lost. So one thing I, and I, I, I get it that it's not the strongest thing to attack the, you know, attack the idea, not the author. But people have to realize that when he wrote this, he, he was writing it as a failed diplomat. So he actually failed in the one thing that he said that he was proficient in, and that was rulership. But he actually had been deposed from power and never actually recouped that power. So I just want to, sorry, my friend, sorry to insult you a few centuries later, but th that's just the reality. The second thing I, I kind of want to uh, come out here with is the 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 fear like one thing i, I want to ask him if i could go back to machiavelli is why do you use the word fear and not the word respect because i actually think that respect has love and i think it also has fear intertwined in it right i, I think you can fear someone but also respect them like i don't understand why he just says fear and not and not respect. I think respect probably triumphs over love and fear. Would you agree with that? Respect over love and fear. No, I I, I wouldn't say that I agree with that, especially with okay. uh, in parts to love. I know that I do believe that respect is you know uh, it's actually a very helpful tool, especially when it comes to a place like leadership and so forth. It's good for your the people who you lead to respect you, but if they love you, the respect is a given. If you respect someone, love is not necessarily a given. In the sense of you can respect someone's, it may not even be the person. Um, it may simply be because of the uniform they wear. There was the whole, there used to be a saying saying, you know, respect, sorry, salute the uniform and not the man. I think that respect can be given, but it depends on where we, are we, it's, it's, it's limited because one can lose respect. Um, is there someone one can stop fearing? One could also stop loving. I, I mean, yeah, but it, it depends. You know, if we're talking about lo real love, hmm. actual love, one does not stop loving because one's love is is love does not is not contingent on the up on the objects of the love, but the sub not no, sorry not yeah not not the object or the subject of the love, but the the. Um, um, but from the person which um, who, who who chooses to give that love, so it's it's real love does not actual love does not turn its face away, it's it keeps its face on you, 
um, because by the very nature by the by the very nature of turning away, it was never really love. That's a good answer. So in your in your so in your definition, love must be unconditional for it to actually be love. So the, the yeah, prereq. That's very, okay. Let, uh, let's hold that. Let's table that for a second. That's that's yeah. a that's a very good thought here because a lot love it love is one of the most. I hate to say it's an overused word, and it gets it gets melded and melted and and used in all sorts of distorted ways. I actually like your condition that in order for the love to be authentic, it must be unconditional, and and we're going to return to that in a sec. That's 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 a really important caveat. Okay, let, let's compare, let's say, fear and respect. A man, men typically have fear of their bosses, but they need not respect their bosses, okay? So, you know, when I'm at work, typically you look at your boss, and, and again, you might respect your boss, but let's just say you have a tyrannical boss who you don't respect. He's, he has, he's the boss. I always say this, the boss's son. That's, a, that's my go-to archetype mm-hmm. figure, some undeserving spoiled brat boss, right? So you have, mm-hmm. a, you have a boss's son and you fear him because that boss's son has the ability to take away your paycheck. He has the ability to take away your livelihood. So you have that fear, but you, you don't respect him because he's the boss's son. Yeah. Now that fades, that, 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 that fear can fade. Maybe you save up enough money. So maybe I'm working under this guy and I have enough money where I'm like, okay, if this guy fires me, I've got enough money to coast for you know a few more months or whatever. So as you save up more money, you have less fear of that boss's son. Or yeah. let's say you get another job offer. Now your fear for the boss's son changes because you have another offer in hand, right? Yeah. So that's the problem with fear is that you can always you can always circumvent that fear by your own actions. Okay. You live yeah. you live under you live under Stalin. All you need to do is escape the Soviet Union. I know that's easier said than done, but it's really that simple. You escape, you escape the, the tyrant and in you avoid having to fear that person anymore. With respect, the people, when I think of the word respect, I, I often think of a talented UFC fighter. Okay. So I think respect is probably held in that domain. And let's say you've got a UFC fighter that's an asshole, just a straight up asshole. The guy is an asshole. He bad mouths and he's just not a good guy, but let's say he's undefeated. Okay. So you've got a UFC fighter. He's undefeated and no one's ever beaten. You have to still like, I, it's very difficult. And you may not love that guy because he's an asshole, but there is a respect that you have that, that he commands authority. So even though the character of that guy is unlovable, you still kind of submit to him because he has a certain um, he has a certain like undeniable skill that means that you need to submit to his authority just by virtue of the fact that like he is the best at what he does. Even though you don't love him, you have a respect for him because it's undeniable that he is the best at what he does. And I think that could be extrapolated into other domains. Whereas I may not love you, but you're the damn, you're the best fighter. You're the best at this thing. Therefore I have to listen to you by virtue of respect. How, how does that sound to you? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, but that's the problem is that respect is if you're, you're too, depending on the kind of leader, you know, respect can be troublesome in the sense of respect is earned and a person a person who doesn't want to go through the regular rule of earning your respect can cut it short by making you fear them because if 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 you are afraid of them 
you will you'll get things done. Respect, fear, and another thing is that fear often doesn't, you know, there's no, fear doesn't ask questions. Fear simply obeys. Him who respect, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're dealing with somebody you respect, you can ask them questions, you can question their authority. And not, not in the sense of, hopefully, you know, if you respect them, it's tempered. But you can, you can question their authority, you can question what they're, you know, what they're about, what they're saying, what they're commanding, and so forth. But if it's fear, it's fear, if it's fear, it's it's a matter of doing or dying. It's a matter of doing or having the you know the consequences of not doing, which is usually something pretty ter- you know well, that makes you afraid. So I do agree that um, on, on on especially if we're gradiently or or on a scale, your respect is respect to be a, you know would be above fear and would be you know I, I would say in the long run far more helpful. At least I like to believe that. But fear has its perks. Fear has its uh, its its fear has its its uh, its its advantages. I'm going to challenge a little bit of this because let's say you have a gentleman who tries to earn your respect and he fails at doing so. Okay, and he says, "Well, if I can't win their respect, I'm going to use fear." But we discussed earlier that if that person uh, changes to fear, their power will diminish the second people circumvent that fear. So again, if, if it's like, if I can't get your respect, I'm going to use fear. Well, the second I have enough money to leave this job, I'm going to do so. The second another job offer comes, I'm going to do so. The second uh, my resistance fighters are strong enough to overthrow your, your, um, uh, your tyrannical reign, they will do so. So again, if, if, if the leader foregoes respect and decides to go with fear, Okie dokie. But again, as soon as the people are strong enough to revolt against that fear, they will do so. Whereas with respect, if, if let's say I have somebody who, let's say there's a guy who I'm debating with, and let's say I actually despise this gentleman, okay, I'm, I'm debating this guy, and I, I despise him. But let's say he's, he, he's, he's really smart. And whatever I say, he beats me. Like every, every argument that I make, he knocks it down. And I just, I can't get a word edgewise. Like the guy really knows what he's doing. He's just that smart. Or let's say he's a, a brilliant mathematician. Okay. Let's say he's a brilliant mathematician. He's a complete asshole. He's a jerk. He's, he's just a, a shitty person. But I know for a fact that if this mathematician's not here, we're never building that rocket. And I need him. I need this man and I need his math skills to build this rocket. And there's no one else on the face of the earth that can build that rocket. I think that that respect kind of commands a certain level of authority, right? I, I, may, I may not like that person, but by virtue of their superior acumen and their superior skill in that specific domain, I can't help but listen to them because I have no choice. There's no way to circumvent them because they're so damn good at what they do that no matter how much I try, it's just like, it's just like I'll never be able to put this rocket in space unless I have this asshole mathematician in my, in my court. Yeah, I mean, but fear could accomplish the same thing. It could accomplish the same thing if you, you know, if you threaten his family, if you kidnap someone, if you beat him up. It would accomplish the, the only the only thing is that fear in the long run, like we mentioned earlier, fear in the long run, and de- really depending on how smart the person is, they could really push this for many years. Fear in the long run kind of implodes; it kind of turns on itself. 
but res respect respect would be the next next best thing in the sense of it would it would accomplish it would accomplish it may accomplish it you know slower because you'd have to earn people's respect or you'd have to you know tolerate people who you don't really you know want to be who you don't really necessarily want to tolerate um but but it, if 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 done well it could it could it could last it, it could accomplish a lot and it could last you know it would definitely last far longer longer than fear. Let's, I, I'm going to use two historical examples, okay? Alexander the Great and Napoleon. If you knew these people in real life, if I knew Alexander the Great in real life, if I knew Napoleon in real life, they are assholes. They were assholes. They would yell at their troops. They push them yeah. too hard. They'd be like, what do you mean we can't go? To the, the, you know, they would freak out and they would publicly humiliate their subordinates. However, however, Despite, you know, despite that they're assholes, despite that I may not love them, history has been very kind to these two gentlemen. The history has offered them a great deal of respect, even though they're not lovable creatures. So Alexander the Great and Napoleon are not lovable. However, I pose the question, why has history bended its arm with respect to these two gentlemen, even though they were not lovable? Well, it's, I think it's because they accomplished great things. I mean, that's Alexander the Great. I mean, this is a young man who conquered most of the known world. Um, Napoleon, young man who took himself from nothing, a Corsican who took himself from nothing and became emperor of France. I mean, this is, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. When you look at their lives, you can't help but feel a certain, um, amazements and what they accomplished. Um, so I think it's simply because of the great deeds they accomplished and um, the, 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 the great dreams they, they dared to dream, you know. Um, I would say that's why history looks upon them and marvels, you know. Now, let's, let's juxtapose this with love. Suppose we have Alexander the Great and we have Napoleon. And then let's just, I'm going to make up a person, right, because I can't think of one off the top of my head. Let's say we had a man named James the Lovable. <laughs> okay, let's just pretend there was a guy in history called James the Lovable, and he was known for just being a very sweet and kind man that spread his charity. Why mm. as humans do we not revere and honor and remember James the Lovable? But we remember people like Alexander the Great and Napoleon. So I, I'm just I'm just pointing that out that like you know, as much as we say that, like, we value goodness, history seems to, to you know, we, we don't value tyrants, and we don't value, like, the worst of the worst, but it seems like we do honor people that we respect, and we respect a certain degree of forcefulness in, in our historical figures. Yeah, but it's not, I don't think it's just that. It's, here's the thing, it's, it's, it's natural, because we don't like, we also don't like total assholes. We don't like people who are just plain evil. No one looks at, or should I say, not many people. It's a small group of people, very small. But people don't look at Hitler and say, wow, look at the great deeds he accomplished. And, but he did, he actually did take Germany from, from you know, a low polit political stance to you know, where it was at the time. He accomplished quite a lot. But he was, you know, according to history, not a very, not a very good man. You know, we have things like we have people like uh, 
Stalin doing the same thing. My point is, it's not it's not so much it's it's not about the forcefulness because even even when you look at people who are people who are just generally just kind and sweet, there's something un, just unbelievably boring about a person who is just a yes you know just a smiling duckling Mickey Mouse you know dancey little do do telly tubby. I don't really want to be around that. Guy. I don't care how sweet you are, mate. I I don't care for it. Because personally, it seems as though it seems as though on both, on both extremes, there's just something a bit inhumane about those about things like that. But when you when you look at when you look at someone like the Christ, who is I, I don't know if you, I could ever possibly describe him as sweet. I don't think so. But I, he was good. He was brilliant. He was you know, but he was a very he was good. This is somebody who healed the sick and you know performed miracles and you know helped people who were down, whatever. And then he at the same time he was making whips to check, you know, to chase people out of the out of the temple. The point is simply, oh, you look at someone like Socrates, these he was who was a good man. Um, the point is simply there is uh, there is something beyond, there is something beyond the scale that we're not looking at. You know, there's 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 greatness. There's something about greatness. Now, James the Lovable is not a great man. He's just not. <laughs> He's a sweet man, which is not a great man. A great man, a great man or a great woman. There, there's a criteria for that. There is something. There's something above above well, the, the. Let me put this caveat in here. Let's yeah. say the history books say that James, because <laughs> James the Lovable. <laughs> It's so funny just saying that, I have to say. Like, so let's say the history books say that because of James the Lovable. Can you imagine? I can't even say I can't even say the straight face. Okay, but let's say the history books say that James the Lovable, because of his charity, saved, oh. saved three million lives, okay? Like, okay. is that something not to applaud? And, and like, I'll give you an example of, maybe this is the closest thing to James Lovable would be uh, Schindler, okay? Like in Schindler's mm. list, okay? So yeah. here's a guy who didn't conquer vast territory and do all this other stuff, but he saved a lot of Jewish lives. So yeah. I would say that Schindler is the equivalent of a James Lovable in the sense yeah, that no, like, he, he yeah. did, he did, like he used whatever power he had in a very virtuous and altruistic way. Yeah, because he wasn't just lovable. He was also shrewd. He was tactical. He was a wise man. You know, he knew how to play the game and he played it well for the good of the people he wanted to, you know, do well for. He's a great man. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's not just that there's, there's something about being a well-rounded human. You know, when it's time to love, you're absolutely loving. When it's time to be shrewd, you're shrewd. When it's time to be um, violent, you're violent. It's just, you just know what to do when the time comes and you do it well, you know? And you don't meet every James Lovable's walking down the street with his wife, Mrs. Lovable. And, the, you know, somebody comes and shoves, shoves him out of the way and wants to take his... Uh, um, his wife away from him, maybe even has a gun to rob her or some crack like that. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna is he gonna be James Lovable forever? Is he gonna oh dookie oh dookie 
Dunitatu. I think of Flanders from Simpsons. <laughs> what a schmuck, you know? <laughs> no, I, I think this is important to talk about because, okay, so this is what I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. We like people whose overall mission is a good mission, okay? So we like people who their, their end goal is good, right? It's not evil. It's not like extermination of a group of people. It's like something, they want to achieve something good, but we like people who are shrewd and we like people who have a great adversity and they're able to use force. So I think, I think a part of this equation and I kind of feel Machiavelli rising up from the dead right now a little bit. There's, there's a darkness co overcoming me. Is that we like people that have their overall mission is good, but they use strong force in order to achieve that good. So if you achieve good by being a fluffy, lovable purple dinosaur, we don't respect you. We don't care for you. Even if you're doing a lot of good things, if you're a soft purple dinosaur and you're just like, let me just spread my love and my joy, you're just, you, we don't respect it. We like people who have a good mission, but circumstances force them to use extreme force and extreme cunningness in order to achieve that goodness. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. That is, I mean, those kinds of things, and I absolutely respect them, but it goes back to the Christ. No, no force. He let himself be crucified. What, what resistance did he give? And today, half the world follow this guy. You know what I mean? Half, and the whole, the whole world, or if not the whole world, a great deal of the world knows his name. This guy did no force whatsoever. Well, hold on I mean, now. The, 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 to, there is so the, there are Christians who will say that you know he did assert himself uh, in the temple when he put an end to like uh, money changing. And I'm talking about to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. Okay. So he had no force to accomplish what, what whatever his mission was on earth. He he died for it, right? Same thing with Socrates. He could have run away. Mm, mm. He'd have run away, but he didn't. There was no force. He actually gave himself up willingly. Today, he's one of the greatest philosophers to ever live. Let, let's stick he, with Socrates he, then. I want to stick with Socrates for a second. I would say that Socrates is extre an extremely forcible man. Now, he didn't have uh, military might. He didn't win battles with arms or whatever. But when someone disagreed with him, he never just said, oh, okay, Dokia, you know, I don't want to upset you. Like he kept on fighting and he fought so hard that it ultimately ended up with people killing him. And, you know, he, he, he was a man of honor and he decided, okay, if this is what you guys decide, um, he basically chose the path of martyrdom and martyrdom is actually a form of force. So I would argue that when you sacrifice your body for a cause that you believe in, you're actually exerting extreme force. It's the same thing with Gandhi. It's not, it's not like people say, oh, well, Gandhi was just so loving and kind and that's why he went on hunger strikes. No, the man was, ex was exerting extreme levels of force on the British, but he was using the tactics that he had available to him. So Socrates and Gandhi knew that if they raised up an army and, and, and directly opposed the forces that were oppressing them, they would just get their asses handed to them. No, no question about it, right? So they used force via the means that they had available to them. Yeah, but why, why are we calling it force? How is, resist, how is a man not resisting his death? When, when, it, when on the other side, I would say, I, would, this, this, I, just, I want to understand this, is that 
why 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 define it as force when it is actually the the giving in to the forceful desires of others over yourself okay it's a bit paradoxical but i'm going to attempt to explain this hmm. suppose there was a, there's this scene when plato um, i'm sorry when socrates is on trial there's this scene where a friend of his goes to the prison and says, buddy, I, I can get you out. Just, just, you know, come with me. Right. So there, there, there's this argument to be made that Socrates had an out. He could have escaped at nighttime. He could have also apologized and recanted and, 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 you know, saved his life. But I think Socrates knew that if he ran at nighttime, if he recanted or he gave a fake apology, his message would not have been everlasting. So I, I don't think I, I don't see it as submission. I, I don't see him just being like, well, the Athenians say this, and therefore I'm just going to submit and, and sacrifice myself. I think Socrates knows that, you know, it, it's kind of like what Obi-Wan Kenobi says, you know, if you destroy me, I will only become more powerful. It's the same exact concept where it's like Obi-Wan is not just sacrificing his life as a form of submission to Darth Vader. He's submitting because he knows that his the, the symbolic icon, like the symbol of his sacrifice will be more enduring and more powerful than if he just gave like a fake ass apology and said, oh, I'm so sorry, I apologize. So, that, so I, I think that Socrates is not just is not soft and lovable. I think the guy is so fierce that he was willing to give up his life in order to have a more, you know, in, enduring message. No, I agree with you. Absolutely not soft and lovable. Not, not exactly. So the, the, that kind of, and you, I think I, I see what you're saying about the force in the sense of it's not so much, it's not violence. It's not like force. And it's, 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 a, it's a, a certain kind of, a certain kind of, uh, it's a different kind of force. It's not a violent force. It's like a, it's like a, um, an internal mental, like a, like a force of will. And no, I can, I can see that. And I think, uh, I think that's, yeah, any John, James Lovable, if he doesn't have that, is a waste of time. It's not, this is not someone that, you know, this is, this is not, this is not someone I, 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 I want to go, you know, have, 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 you know, um, um, shoot pull with <laughs> yeah yeah you know and, and i think i think this is important because like i'm you know it's funny because i feel guilty now because i just in the beginning of this podcast i just dissed machiavelli but now i see a few of his fingers coming from the grave and strangling me a little bit because he's like <laughs> you know like like and i you know and and which is good which is good because i see him saying aaron Let's just be you and I need to be real right now. You know, James the Lovable doesn't exist and he never will exist and no one will ever honor James the Lovable. No. There has to be a certain degree. But I here's where I still disagree with Machiavelli. I don't think that we fear Socrates and I don't think that it is. I don't think that we fear Gandhi. I don't think these people are feared, but we, we have like a respect. We have a respect for their force, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But hold on. The people who kill them were afraid of them. You don't you don't put a man to death. You don't murder a man like that, unless you unless you're scared of something. Now, I, yeah. So I think that the Athenians were afraid of Socrates. You're right in that account. But the reason that we honor Socrates is not because we're fearful no, of him. No, no, not at all. Yeah, right. So you, yeah, I, that's a good distinction here. So the Athenians were afraid of him, and, and therefore they put him to death. But I think that if if Socrates was a wise tyrant, if such a thing even exists, right? I don't think we would honor him. You know, just just like like with Ivan the Terrible. 
he he has a place in history, but no one respects the dude. Okay, no one. I, I mean, unless you're Stalin, I guess if you're an evil, twisted sociopath, maybe you respect Ivan the Terrible because he's like a badass killer and tyrant or whatever. So I. I I, I do I, 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 I do I, I do see room there are there are certain characters in history that are evil and people respect them for their I guess their sharpness they're really sharp characters that, that knew how to repress people in very creative types of ways but we don't we don't ultimately I, I think in the grand in, in the in the grandeur of human experience we don't ultimately respect those types of individuals there we don't we, there might be a few things that Ivan the terrible did that were very intelligent but overall if you ask the average person they don't respect ivan the terrible as a human being yeah i mean so it begs the question you know what what is it about alexander the great napoleon socrates or gandhi when we look at these people what is it about them that we look back and we say wow that was just bloody amazing and it's that's a very interesting i, I really want to find find what, what is that you know what what is it about the humanity what is it about about the humanity, because it wasn't just about their life. Many of us don't know jack squat about their life, but something about the person, you know? Uh, what is it about them that, uh, that makes them so stand out, so like sore thumbs in, in, uh, in the grand scheme of history? All right, you know, I think these are good questions. I think I think we like we love underdogs. Okay, so as as a species, we love underdogs and Socrates, Gandhi, Napoleon, uh, maybe not so much Alexander the Great because his his father was a king and so forth. But I, I think in those examples, those guys were just regular schlubs. They were just <laughs> regular poor working class people that built something out of nothing. So we, we like that. We, we like people who started off with nothing and through their sheer brilliance and sheer cunningness were able to rise to the top because. It, it gives our faith. It gives it gives us a faith in a meritocracy that, like, oh, if you work hard, uh, you can achieve good things. And we love stories like that because it, it validates justice, right? So, like, if 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 somebody is able to start from the bottom and work their way up, it kind of uh, renews our sense in justice, and we like that. These people also had very strong and powerful adversaries that they were able to defeat. And this comes, this is why we also love King David. We like King David because he was cloaked in not the best armor. You know, he was given like, okay, here's our leftover armor. We're going to put that on you. And here's a slingshot. Good luck, kid. <laughs> and he was able to bring down Goliath. So mm -hmm. we like, we like leaders who are underdogs, who are ill-equipped, but they're able to take the very scant resources that they have and they're able to conquer and achieve. I think the last criteria is we like these people to have a good overall mission. We want these people to have a, a, a better, they have a vision for a better future. They may, they may at times use some shady means in achieving that better vision, but ultimately they have like a better future on the horizon, which is something that like, for example, even though Hitler came from a working class background, but he did not have a beautiful vision at the end of the tunnel. His vision was very dark and scary. So I think we like, we like those things. We like, you're an underdog, you conquer a powerful adversary and you have a overall, a positive end of the tunnel type of vision. I'll, I'll I'll accept that for now. I like I like that. I'll, I'll accept that. This is a it's it's really it's 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 really phenomenal. I I just the idea that um, I, I like that.
Thank you, my friend. Um, you know, I, 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 again, and, and like I said, human beings are very fuzzy. So, you know, they, they, we're never going to have like exact, exact variable. That's why the, the work that we do in philosophy and social sciences is a lot harder because we'll never have exact answers, only approximations. But um, okay, let's move on from there and talk about why we can never fully respect the lovable, just pure lovable. Okay. And I'm going to give my version of this, and then I'm, I'm curious to hear what your version is. And I also, I, I have in the back, you made a great point earlier in the conversation about true love is unconditional, and I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. Yeah. I, can, I can speak from the experience of teaching that the highly lovable teacher, the soft teacher, the teddy bear teacher is the teacher that is uh, taken, you know, the kids take the most advantage of those teachers and they don't respect them. They walk on them. They, they curse them out. They, they just get utterly abused. If you're a lovable teacher, you're going to find out really quickly that these kids are going to chew you and spit you out like nothing. Like lovable teachers are the first to, to collapse. And, 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 you know, halfway through the school year, they're like, I, I, I gave them candy and I, I baked cupcakes for the kids and I do a cupcake party. Why don't they listen to me? <laughs> right. And it's like, right. So I, my, I'm going to go with the proposition and I'm curious to hear what you say is that, if you're too lovable, people sense weakness if you're too lovable, okay? Because I think, I think lovable, if you're, and it, it, it kind of goes back to this idea, if you're a revolving door and, the ki and kids, children, adults know that you are a never ending revolving door. And no matter how many times I shit on you, I'll always be welcomed back into your good graces. You can't respect that kind of lovability. It's, you, just, you just can't, they, they might be as sweet as honey. But if you're just a revolving door that I can always shit on, I'll never respect you. And therefore, I will never listen to you. Okay, I'm not saying that's the ironclad truth. I'm tossing the ball into your court. Well, I can see that. I can see that. But there's also the possibility that it's just there's something there's something disingenuous about it. In the sense of, you know, um, the person who's always smiling and giving you thumbs up and high fives and all that bollocks is like, dude, like, no, you, you be a human being. I, I'm not saying, I, I, I'm not saying you have to be miserable, but be, please, please be, be, be a human being in the sense of, um, there's always this suspicion that you're not being a real human being with me. You're not being genuine. You're there. You're everything lovable about you is, forced you know and, and you see it all the time with people who always want to be seen as loving and kind and and and, and, and good it's they, they they put innocently of course at least I, I hope so they put their best foot forward but the problem with that is you know at the end of the day that's all they that's all they show you and they stay, they want to be this one-legged creature hopping about you know no man you have two legs one's good one's not very good Show me your human. Just be a human being with me. So I think there's this. We 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 recognize, you know, this. Um, we recognize the disingenuous disingenuousness about those kinds of those kinds of uh, of people in those kinds of situations. Um, it's still the same thing about the you know the person who's always trying to show you how bad and how tough they are. It's like, dude, come on. Is this this the exact exact same spectrum? 
just two two extreme ends. And with with a person who is constantly lovable, and you know, like the revolving door you've mentioned, and no matter how many times you you know you um, you know uh, uh, shit on me or disturb me or whatever it is, I'm always going to be like no 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 no. You know, here's the thing. It's like the idea that you know when someone says, "Listen, my," you know, the idea that you know when someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. Yeah, I believe that. I think that's. I think that's. To, uh, I believe that. But here's 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 where where my problem. Where I personally draw a line with that is if you didn't even have the moxie, the moxie, the desire, the strength, the courage to hit that person back. You have no business turning the other cheek, Mike. You have no because it's not because that that's what we're, the, the 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 turning the other cheek was supposed to be an act of love. It's, it's saying I know I could very well break I could very well break you right now, but I'm not gonna because I just I I have I have higher things informing the way I we the way I deal with these kinds of problems and I and I interact with the world, and so it becomes love because he because you had the strength to destroy and you didn't. That's 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 where we draw the line. We say that's a loving thing because he could, yeah, he didn't. Here, if you didn't have the strength in the first place, it's not love; it's cowardice when you turn your other cheek. So the person who is letting you crack on your lives and you know they always want the door, always leaving the door open and all that. If they don't have the moxie, the strength, the capacity, the wisdom, whatever it is that consists, you know what? You're 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 a shitty person, aren't you? You're trying to take advantage of me. You know what I mean? You're trying to hurt me, destroy, you know. If they can't see that, say that, and respond to that, they're not really a loving person. They're idiots. They're just dumb. They're just happy, dumb people, which is not really love. It's not, it's not, it's not necessarily love. Because what's what's happening, one of the one of my favorite teachers in high school was a very tough teacher, actually. Very tough. She didn't let anybody get away with nothing. But when she was kind to you, you felt it. You felt she was kind. In fact, even her toughness, we, at the end of the day, every student liked her. I remember my wife telling me the same thing about one of her schools and one of her teachers. Same thing, tough teacher. Tough teacher who, you know, she was the only one who most of the students came to to thank. And, so, and all that goes. I think, I think the, the, if, if, if you don't have, if you don't have the, the, the power to swing the sword, you know, if you don't have the power to swing the sword, then it's not, it's not so much that you are um, a righteous person or a, or, a, or a meek person. It's just that you're weak and you're cowardly and you're, and you're, uh, and you're not that bright. Let me just say, those are two heavy powered, excellent counterpoints. And I, 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 I agree with the second counterpoint and I want to discuss the first counterpoint. Let me, I'm going to discuss why I agree with the second counterpoint you made. You are absolutely right. That teacher who bakes cupcakes for the kids or whatever is probably afraid of those students. And he or she is doing that as a, like, please don't hurt me, please. And I, I, I see that. And I, I, you're absolutely, you're, you're really, you're hitting it on the iron here. Whereas there is a type of person who performs kind acts because they are afraid or they feel unworthy. A good, another example of this is, let's say you're a girl and you have a boyfriend who's constantly getting you chocolates and flowers and whatever. 
it's not necessarily because he loves you. It could also be because he feels unworthy. Like, you know, he, you might be like a, such an attractive lady that he feels that he's so unworthy that he must shower you in praise and gifts. That's not love. That's self-loathing and, and, and feeling unworthy compensating. Right. And, and I, the second, the second counterpoint you made 100% sticks and it, it sticks like glue. And it's a great counterpoint that there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind people that aren't really kind. They're just cowards. And then, and then when you take those quote unquote kind people and you put them in a room that with someone who's genuinely weaker than they are, then they show their true colors. Then then they show their true colors and they show, mm-hmm. you know, there's this great quote from, uh, I believe it's Muhammad Ali that says, uh, I don't, I, I'll never hang out with somebody or I'll never respect somebody who treats a waiter badly because um, if I was that waiter, then they would mistreat me. So the only reason they're treating me nice is because I'm quote unquote, I'm Muhammad Ali, I'm, I'm a successful boxer. But if I was just a lowly waiter, then their true colors would come out and they would treat me like garbage because they have authority in that particular situation. So I love your second counterpoint. I want to move to the first counterpoint that you made where you said, sometimes that love is not uh, genuine. It's not, it's not authentic love. And you are right that in a lot of these cases, like we just discussed, it's not authentic. What about this one? What about the love of a mother for a son? And let's say the mother's love is 100% authentic. If you know, we put a thermometer in that woman's heart and it was 100% authentic love. And the son, let's just say that the son knows that their mother's love is 100% authentic, but the son does not fear the mother. What about instances like that, where the love is 100% genuine, it's 100% love between a mother and a son, but the son is like, Eh, if I steal my mom's credit card, she can't punish me. She can't do anything to stop me. You know, I'm, I'm physically stronger than her. Uh, you know, I'm 16 years old right now. She can't tell me what to do. Even though I know my mom deep down inside loves me, I, I just don't fear her. And therefore, I'm going to steal her credit card when she's asleep. I'm going to go into her purse and take the money out of her wallet. So that could be an instance where the mother's love is 100% genuine, but just by virtue of the son not fearing the mother, he still does uh, mess up things. Okay, so that, I think that's, thank you. That's a good question. And um, so before I go into this, the idea is that, you know, three things. First thing is, this is not to say that, you know, if it looks, if anybody's love or kindness looks like this, that you're automatically in the world. No. Second is, if um, mothers can be very, very brilliant, loving mothers and have terrible, terrible sons, just simple. It's possible. Absolutely. That happens. Third, this is a real situation. These are, these are real situations. But based on the first two, based on the second explanation I gave, it, it all depends. It depends on the, the in, you know, the in, the relationship between the mother and son and household and all that. Okay. So that being said, I, I, if you're saying, if you're telling me that the mother has been absolutely, it's just you, you've, you set the premise here. So I'm, I'm playing in your world. All right. So you said, okay, this is a genuine love, genuine. So there's no, I can't question the love. So it's genuine love. It is hypothetical, but let, let's just say that that variable is true. Let, let's just, and I know it's impossible to prove, but let's just say for the sake of this hypothetical that the mother's love is 100% uh, genuine and authentic. Okay, then it's just one of two things. She may, 
this is this is where it gets complex because it's it's hard to can say okay this one you can say okay it's possible that it's genuine love but she just missed something she missed wisdom that she really cares for him but she just really missed wisdom and hasn't taken the right steps so she's been good to him way most of his life right but when he needed when he needed a good spanking or punishment or whatever she never really dealt it out not because she didn't love him but because she didn't have the wisdom to do it right it's just something she didn't know okay yes it's yeah, i like i like what you're saying yes so her 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 abdication of responsibility is not one of negligence it's out of ignorance so this is a loving person with no sense whatsoever no wisdom in this right so and then the other part could be <clears throat> the boy is just a bastard just a really bad human being so she could absolutely love him and um he's just taken advantage of her even if he even if she was going to respond you know with strength and with you know with kindness he was just a very very bad human being so so these are the only these are the only two things that i can think of here because um in a, in a, in the real world let's just say that you know if it wasn't hypothetical then this could there's a sliver this could still be the case you know what i mean but most of the time you know um there's a difference between sentimentality and love but in america we often don't know the difference we think that by being sentimental we're being loving and we think that when a person isn't reciprocating that sentimentality towards us, they don't love us, which is very, very, very not, just, just unbelievably not true. And so what I found is that a lot of the time, mothers are more sentimental than they are loving to the children. Because it's like, they want to look like the movies. They want to look like the shows. They want to look like the, the American apple pie scene. And so what happens is rather than going on a vacation together and enjoying each other, we always have to have the right pictures, do the right things together and bond so that it satisfies my craving for that, my, my craving for the sentimental bond. I heard a commercial the other day saying, this is a dining table where grandson and grandfather will bond over checkers. It's like, first of all, why? Why can't you just put grandpa and grandson in the same house and I don't know, maybe they bond, maybe they don't. <laughs> but I, I think I think I think it's possible for there to be love without wisdom. But most times, most times it's it's love and sentimentality fighting for for the place in, in, in the heart and mind. Wow. Um I, I love what you're saying and I I, I it, I think this is what you're saying, and I, I love this. So the mother that is caving into her sentimentality, even though she may love her son to some degree, there's a bit of selfishness that is making up that sentimentality because the mother is selfishly thinking to herself, I just want there to be harmony between me and my son. I just want to make yeah. him happy. I Okay, and I like that. So that's actually infringing upon the purity of that love because the sentimentality yeah. is a selfish desire for yeah. a Kodak Disney World type of moment. Okay, excellent, excellent. So let's say there's a father in, in that household. And let's say the father also 100% loves his son. And I, I, I get that that's a hypothetical kind of yeah. um, thing, but okay. But the father says to himself, in order for the best possible outcome for my son, I need him to fear me to a certain degree. Like in order for my son to become the best possible son that he can become, he has to fear me 
um, to a certain extent. Now, does that mean that that father like takes off his belt and he gets drunk and goes hog wild? Absolutely not. But the son, the father knows that he needs to go into his son's room and unplug that PlayStation and say, you will do your homework or you're not getting this back. And that's the end of the story. The father mm-hmm. needs to speak in that kind of tone. The father knows that in the, in the, in, in the, in the, in the interim for a temporary period of time, that teenage son is going to resent the father, but in the long game, the son will come to respect and love the father because he'll, he'll, when he gets older, when that son is no longer 16, but is 30 or 40, he'll be like, my old man knew what he was doing. It was, it was the, the best thing that my old man did was come into my room and rip that PlayStation from the wall and make sure I did my homework. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. When you're dealing with, you see, kids are not rational beings, not yet. They're, they're potential rational beings. They're getting there. And they have, you know, they can, they, they have, I mean, primary, or should I say, um, simple rationale, right? I, I, I am hungry. I will eat. I will not touch this hot plate because it burns and I've touched it before and I've learned my lesson. So, but they, they don't understand there, there, there are things that they don't, that, that are still far beyond them. Right. And um, they why, why should I do my homework when I want to play PlayStation? What is, what is this thing about homework? And you try to say, well, you know, homework will get you good grades and good grades will get you into college and college will get you into maybe a fine job and a fine job will get you more money and more money will get you PlayStation. And you're like, like, I have a PlayStation right now. (laughs) They don't care. So the, so the father taking up the position or taking in, taking on the tyrant or the temporary overlord or emperor that he must fear is absolutely necessary, necessary because I mean, this is at least, Many, all parents do it different ways. Some parents don't believe in this. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'm still, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I've seen any, I've always wondered, you know, I wish I had grown, or I, right now I could grow up with parents who, um, raise my kids, excuse me, with parents who, who, you know, do these kinds of things. So I want to see how the kids turn out and all that. But, but, but I think it's necessary. Because and not forever, because it's, it, there's a time when it it, needs, it, tra- it transitions. There's a time when it changes, and uh, that shouldn't be the case anymore. But while they are still like wild animals, which many, if if anyone who has a kid will tell you, he's like he or she is like a wild animal. There, there is that need to um, to be at uh, 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 an iron fist as well as a, a loving, a comforting hand. Okay. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna transition this away from the family unit and onto the state. The state. The state. state. So what happens when you have a ruler? Okay, you got a ruler now. You got a king, a president, whatever. You know, let's just. Well, I like. I like talking about kings. You got a king now, and he says, and he says, I want the best for my people. But mm. I know that at certain times I need to treat my people with a bit of a, a heavy hand in order to maintain order and so forth. Does that, does that same extrapolation apply to a president, a king, or a ruler as it would between father and son? Yeah, a good friend of mine defined governments, all governments as policing. So it happens right now. So my point is, so the father doesn't go around beating the son senseless. He says, don't do this. So we have laws in the family, right? The law is at six o'clock, 
games are away, your homework needs to be done. That's not happening. Well, the police comes in. That's the heavy hand of father's sword. There's a, that's what the police does in every state. Without, without that heavy hand, it'd be chaos. And so all governments do this. There is no government that does not do this. The very, if this doesn't exist in a government, it's not a government, it's anarchy. And so there is, yeah, there, there is no place, there is no place that uh, I would say, I would say that, uh, um, that has any, any government whatsoever, whether it's, you know, uh, family units, the, the home, the job, the, job, the office, um, the states, the country, there's always going to be the forceful hand of those in authority to keep things in line and check. Okay, I, I, we've covered a lot of sufficient ground and I think there is a difference. So if the father walks into the son's room and he's drunk and just beats the crap of his, out of his kid for no reason, that he's completely undermining his own power because he is now dispensing police or wrathfulness arbitrarily with no just provocation. And it's the yeah. same thing with the state. If the state just randomly, the yeah, the state just randomly takes up troops and, you know, burns down your house and that's the same kind of um, infringing upon it. Yeah. Now yeah. we're getting towards the end of this conversation and we still haven't answered the question of, is it better to be feared or it's better to be loved? And I, I said to you offline that the answer was probably going to be a hybrid, like you need you need a, combina a combination of, of both. Maybe I, I'm going to throw this one out, okay? Maybe I'm going to try and save the game. Like we're going we're gonna to lose this game. I'm going to try and, and, and go for, you know, we're in, we're in the final quarter and I'm going to throw a Hail Mary, okay? Let's see, okay. If this Hail Mary, let's see if the Hail Mary works. Maybe what is best is to be, not feared or loved, but to come off as being fair and just. Oh. Maybe that's the golden combination. Like uh, you want to uh, come off as a fair and just ruler, not necessarily a lovable, because we know that James the lovable is a freaking joke, but we also know that <laughs> Ivan the terrible is is also like also you know a monster. So maybe you want to come off as being a fair and just ruler and that's the most effective means of of actually ruling over a territory how does that sound and that sounds good because it's, it's just it's just changing it's changing the avenue right changing the access points in the sense of when you say is it better to be feared or loved you're looking at it from from your perspective and seeing trying to figure out what you're trying you know what this that's the end that's the end not the means so you when you say it's better to be feared then you have the means to getting feared and say it's better to be loved. It means getting love, right? So, but this is this is a difference in the sense of if you're if you're fair and just, that's you're giving yourself an opportunity. As you said, it's actually the same thing. It is the answer. It is the, it is the answer that you predicted. It's both because the, to those who if you're if you're just to those who've broken the law, you're going to be feared. And if you're fair to those who to those who have been um, victimized, sinned against, hurts, disturbed, you're going to be, you're going to be loved. And so to the criminals, you're an iron fist of terror. But to those who obey the laws and to those who, you know, have the laws or the, 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 uh, the breakers of the laws infringe upon them and their rights and their lives, you're going to be loved and you're, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be a comforting and helpful hand. Yes, yes. And I, I'm not even going to take credit for that because it's actually Plato who says 
that justice is the highest virtue. Because a lot, because a lot of people in this world will be like, if we only had love, the world would be fine, right? We have a lot of these hippies that are out there being like, love is the answer, man. And and they don't understand why that is. And I I, I think I have to give it to Plato here that justice truly is the highest virtue. But Kenny, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me, man. This concludes the 158th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.